Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Hangout in the Holy Land, the Land Grant Holy Land's flagship podcast. I am your host, Gene Ross, and joining me as always is Josh Dooley, coming at you from a, a weird weekend of college football, getting ready to preview this Purdue game. But Josh, how are you doing on this fine Monday evening before we get into things? Uh, I'm doing good, man. Just took a COVID test, so that was fun. I think we touched a memory from first grade while they were up there, but hopefully those results come back clean, feeling good, ready to talk about uh, some football, and in particular, some Ohio State football. Yes, it is always good to be a COVID-free podcast. We do like that. Um, but yeah, before we get into this next weekend, we do have some little news and notes from over the weekend to discuss. Obviously, Ohio State won their game against Nebraska. And, and you know, in talking of Nebraska and in the news this week, we had kind of alluded to it, kind of like debated a bit on whether or not Scott Frost would retain his job after this season. And at this point, it seems like all signs point to yes. Uh, today, Nebraska announced that they had restructured his contract and they are committed to him through at least 2022. And then shortly after, uh, Scott Frost went ahead and fired basically his entire offensive staff, still with two games remaining this year, which is an interesting move to say the least. But uh, yeah, it does appear that Scott Frost will stick around at Nebraska. I'm not totally surprised by this. I think he's done, you know, obviously the team is three and seven, but I think he's done enough this year. They've been competitive in a lot of these big games. And I think that, you know, it's, it's worth, I don't know if there's a ton of better options out there. And I think it's worth giving him at least one more try at this especially in a very winnable Big Ten West. I, I, you know, I'm not totally shocked that they brought him around. Josh, are you surprised by this at all? Are you, you know, are, do you think it's the right move for Nebraska? What do you think about this decision? I don't know if it's the right move, but I, I sort of tend to agree that I don't know what the better option is. You know, he is an alum. He's got uh, a history there in Nebraska, and his record could easily be transposed, right? They're 3-7. and seven. They could easily be 7-3, and three, and... You know, they just they have to tighten up. They have to figure out some things in close games. But I, it's going to be very, very odd. I, I'm interested to see what they do in these last remaining two games with no coaches. Um, you know, I know Scott Frost is a former offensive coordinator. He can pick up some of the slack on that side of the ball. But to fire those coaches, I mean, who's filling in? Is this analyst? Is this, uh, you know, grad coaches or something like that? Can you and I go apply for a job to maybe get some hazard pay for these last couple of games? That's going to be really odd. And the timing of it is something that that is what I don't agree with from a Nebraska perspective. Not that I have an emotional interest or anything like that, but uh, I think you're really kind of cutting the legs out from under that team and those players by doing so with two games left. So that's going to be an intriguing kind of development, something to watch going forward. It seems like they just want to get to the end of the season now at this point and reset for 2022. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure a lot of those coaches are making five, six figures. If Nebraska wants to throw me a game check this weekend, I will gladly show up to whoever they're playing and coach and, and try to get them to win a football game out there. But uh, yeah, I think the only assistant really on the offensive side they stuck around with was the tight ends coach so maybe he's getting a bump in duties or whatever but it is an odd thing to fire your offense coordinator your running backs coach and all these guys with two games left in the season you figure at this point you might as well just ride it out and try to find those guys at the end of the year but alas we will get another year of scott frost in lincoln gene Gene, do you think it's all related how much of it i should say do you think is related to the buyout i believe i read that they would owe him 20 million dollars which seems like a very very high number uh but i think that's what i saw do you think it's primarily related to that i wouldn't say primarily but you know as we all know in college football it's it's a uh, the whole business is about money 
Uh, so I, I would say it's a very pretty significant factor in this. They did uh, restructure his contract, and I'm sure part of that is is lowering his buyout if they do decide to fire him sometime next year. So you know, I, I'm sure that Nebraska didn't want to pay Scott Frost like twenty plus million dollars to not coach next season, and I, and I'm sure that played a role in this. But I w- I wouldn't say that they're you know they're willing to tank the entire football program next year if they think that Scott Frost sucks. Um, so you know that obviously played a role, but I don't think it was the the, the fullest extent of why they decided to keep him around. I do think he's done you know a, a good enough job to warrant maybe give, getting one more try at it. And like you know, like we both said, there's really not a ton of great options out there besides you know outside of the Big Ten to really look at. So not not a super surprising thing, but that did happen on Monday afternoon. Uh, and then just kind of going back and recapping, because we recorded our, our Ohio State recap on Saturday, we didn't get to fully react to some of the scores around college football on Saturday. And obviously the biggest one uh, almost in the country and, and uh, certainly in terms of Ohio State was Michigan State's entirely predictable loss to Purdue. Uh, Josh, it's kind of funny that like, you know, usually these upsets, you know, you see them on paper and it's like, oh, this is an obvious upset. It's almost too obvious that it's not going to happen. But with Purdue, they just they just seem to get it done. They always do this kind of thing. They beat Michigan State 40 to 29. Uh, David Bell went off, you know, in a very Rondell Moore esque way, uh, and, and they really just beat up on Michigan State for most of the afternoon. Uh, you know, Vegas saw this coming. You know, Michigan State was only a three point favorite as the number three team in the country, so you know there was obviously some some concern there from the people that you know make these lines and and know what kind of games these are. And, you know, Ohio State knows better than everyone that coming off an emotional win and heading to West Lafayette is not a fun thing to do. And I just don't know how they do it, man. If, if Purdue is an unranked team and you are in the top five going there, you should just, you know, buy out the game, cancel the game, whatever you can do. You do not want to go play Jeff Brom as an underdog on the road after a big win. Yeah, you know, if you've got the patience to play the long game over a couple of seasons, I would say that if you are a sports better, it is always worth putting money on Purdue against the top five opponent. They're not going to win every single time. But like I said, over the course of a couple of seasons, if you put down enough money, you're going to have to come out uh, a winner in that scenario. So clearly Jeff Brom knows how to get his guys up for a big game. Now, I'm much more impressed with the victory over Michigan State than I am the one over Iowa. Now, I get it. They were playing at Iowa, so that says something. But I still think that Iowa is – that offense is putrid. And the defense clearly had a bad game or not a great game against Purdue. But I think Michigan State's the real deal. And I thought that that was a very impressive victory by them on Saturday. Um you know, they didn't run the ball well, but they they passed the ball very, very well. And that's been Michigan State's sort of Achilles heel. Their defense has not been great against the pass. They certainly don't have the no-fly zone secondary that they had years ago. So I think that's a big victory. I think it's big for Jeff Brom. He, uh, his, sec- his best season, I think, was his second best until or was his second season I'm sorry until this year so I think he needed a couple big games and a couple big wins to get him back on the right track and I think that's exactly what he's done this year yeah for sure and we'll obviously going to talk you know much more in depth about this Purdue team and what they've done this year and what we will see this upcoming Saturday but just looking at this Saturday's slate this past Saturday's slate in general you know obviously coming off that Ohio State game we weren't feeling particularly good about how the Buckeyes looked nor should we you know they didn't play especially well on offense the defense looked good but you know it was a closer than expected game against Nebraska but you know after we had finished recording our podcast the rest of the world played college football and boy none of it was particularly pretty um you know unless your name was Georgia you did not look good this weekend as a top 10 team uh you know Alabama probably should have lost LSU if LSU's quarterback was even semi-competent you know Oregon didn't look particularly good against Washington Cincinnati struggled with Tulsa 
Uh, Wake Forest lost in a, in a barn burner to North Carolina. And so it was just a weird weekend of college football. It was one of those weeks where nobody seemed to have their A game. And and in the grand scheme of things, you know, Ohio State's loss really do- – I mean, Ohio State's loss. Ohio State's win doesn't really look all that bad because when, you know, as, as it's kind of been for the whole season, as I've been saying, I, I think Georgia is really the only good college football team in the country, and everyone else is just kind of middle of the road. And, you know, obviously, you know, when you're Ohio State and Alabama and all these other teams, your you're middle of the road is better than most people's because we have so much talent. But at the end of the day, nobody was really impressive this Saturday, and so I don't think that Ohio State fans should really worry that the sky is falling in Columbus because they didn't win convincingly over Nebraska when everyone else across the country pretty much did the same thing, if not lost, to these you know highly high underdogs. Yeah, I don't think the national reputation, at least for this year, should take a hit. If you looked at all of those games, I think Ohio State's victory over Nebraska was, and throw out the records, I think it was more impressive than the Cincinnati victory. I think it was more impressive than the, um, oh gosh, I'm blanking on the other one. Um, yeah, I, I think it was more impressive than the Alabama victory. And I think it was more impressive than the Oregon victory. Um, LSU is probably the best team out of those three that kind of gave those better opponents a game. But LSU, I mean, they came into that game, they were four and four. They've lost most of their roster. That may have been the last rally for Coach O, but Alabama couldn't run the ball. I think they had like 10 yards rushing in the entire game. They were totally one-dimensional, and their defense really saved them. Will Anderson had an enormous game, and you said it. LSU's quarterback, uh, Brad Johnson's son, I think, putrid, especially in the second half when they had chance after chance to at least just move the ball. Um couldn't get it done. And so you're right. I think that Ohio State fans should rest easier knowing that it was just one of those odd weeks and, you know, things like that happen. Nebraska, they are better than their record. They've got some talent on that team. Their defense is a really good defense, in my opinion, especially after watching them. And then I even watched a little bit of the game again after the fact, especially the second half. It's a solid defense. So a nine-point victory, I'll take it over some of those other games and those other uh, wins that the bigger teams eked out, especially Cincinnati. I think that they've got to figure some things out because they've not looked good for close to a month now and could have at least gone into overtime. I watched that fumble that Tulsa had trying to go in on fourth and one, and that was very, very, very close. I think that easily could have been ruled a touchdown. And then if they get the two-point conversion, you're looking at overtime. Who knows what's, Who knows what happens? So you got to live with the victory. We, we say survive and advance far too often, but it's what we did this weekend. And that's all that counts when, you ha- when you're coming off of a weekend like that. Yeah, as you alluded to, uh, Alabama ran for a total of six yards against LSU. They had 26 carries for a total of six, and obviously that is sack-adjusted with Bryce Young being credited with nine carries for minus 22 yards. But even starting running back Brian Robinson Jr. only had 13 carries for 18 yards, which is a whopping 1.4 yards per carry. So that is not going to get the job done on most days. Luckily, they're playing an LSU team that is is pretty rudderless with a coach that has been virtually fired. Um, But yeah, it wasn't pretty out there. I think Cincinnati is kind of playing themselves out every single week of the of the playoff discussion and I know they're still undefeated but they they really need style points with the teams they're playing in the last couple of weeks certainly haven't been that 
And, you know, I would not want to be the college football playoff committee this week because I think it's going to be really hard to, to slot some of these teams around. I think the upper echelon, none of the teams, I know the only easy pick is having Georgia at one. But after that, there's a lot of a lot of messy stuff going on out there. I think that, you know, I think, you know, I think we'll still see Georgia one, Alabama two. And then I think we'll see Oregon move up to three and probably Ohio State slot in at the four spot. I don't think anybody behind those teams have done anything particularly impressive to jump any of those four teams. But I wouldn't want to be the college football playoff committee this week, uh, but we will. What I will be looking for from the playoff committee this week, and you know, by the time this comes out on Wednesday, we will know the answer to this. I will be interested to see that if Purdue is ranked, because you know, Purdue only seems to pull off these upsets when they're unranked. So I think the best case scenario for Ohio State is a, is a ranked like twenty three to twenty five range ranked Purdue. Yeah, I'm with you, Gene. And the AP poll came out. Purdue is still not ranked in that, which I find just ludicrous at this point. They've beat the number two and number three teams in the country at the time. I think they clearly deserve some respect. And you're right. It would definitely help Ohio State's case to have another ranked team on their schedule. I think that if you're looking at the CFP landscape and you're ranking it that way, I I don't know why the AP voting goes the way it does sometimes. It, It constantly confuses me. But if you're looking at ranking playoff teams or potential bowl teams one through 25. I think Purdue has to be up there because I think strength of schedule and all the metrics that they sort of look at and put into it. I think that will really sort of come to fruition and push Purdue up there into the top 25. Yeah. I I think the big problem with the AP poll is that a lot of the people that vote in it are, are college sport, uh, college football writers that cover one specific team. And I think a lot of these people only watch their own team and then just kind of scoreboard watch around for the rest of the teams. And I think that that comes into play a lot. We see, you know, they, they release like every person's poll individually. And there are some polls that are just like that make absolutely no sense. So I'm not really, you know, at this point in the season, obviously the AP poll doesn't mean all that much, but I think the college football playoff committee does a better job of actually taking the, the grand scheme of things as a whole and not just focusing on one team and kind of guessing on the rest. So it'll be interesting to see when that comes out. That'll obviously be out by the time you're listening to this, but either way, we can hop into Purdue a little bit here. Uh, like Josh said, you know, this is a team that certainly could be ranked. They are six and three uh, overall, four and two in the Big Ten Conference. They have wins over the number two and now number three teams in the country this year with those wins on the road at Iowa and now over Michigan State this past weekend. Uh, you know, their, their stats on paper are pretty good on the defensive side. They're ranked number 27 overall in total defense. Uh, they're much better against the pass than they are against the run. They are 15th in passing yards allowed and 61st in rushing. And then on the offensive side, they are the very definition of a pass-first offense. Uh, their total offense ranks 60th. Their passing offense ranks 8th in the country. But their rushing offense ranks number 128 out of 130 teams in college football. Uh, this team simply cannot run the football at all. And, you know, if you watched the the Michigan State game, what was almost more concerning for the Spartans than letting up 500 yards passing to Aiden O'Connell was the fact that at the end of the game, when, you know, Michigan State was trying to play themselves back into it, they couldn't stop, you know, the Boilermakers run game. And for a team that, that struggles to run that mightily, that that simply can't happen. You can't allow that. And we had said, you know, a couple weeks ago, watching Michigan State, Michigan, that, that that Michigan State secondary looked a little suspect. And we really saw that come into play this week, especially against a team like Purdue that likes to pass the ball so much. I have been... You know, I've been impressed by by Purdue this year. I you know they 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 do this. We've said this before. Like they they just get up for these big games, and they seem to not get up for pretty much anything else. But you know, I, I think that they have a lot of good guys on both sides of the ball, and I think this is a team that Ohio State definitely has to take seriously, regardless of if they're ranked or not. Yeah, it's an odd scenario, right? I mean, to beat the second and third ranked teams in the country, but still sit at six and three with some of the losses they've had. I mean, one of those was to Purdue, um, or I'm sorry, to Notre Dame. And, you know, Notre Dame's a top 10, top 15 team as well. But I, I think that Purdue is a 
solid team, but then you still just, you have to take into account what they do in these big games. Um, They have to be taken that much more seriously because of how they get up for these ranked opponents. So, you know, in totality, I don't know how impressive this team is. Uh, The star power I'd say is lacking in depth but they certainly have two transcendent stars on that team, one on each side of the ball in David Bell and George Karloftis. So I think you look at it from a a number of different ways. It's like, yes, they're a solid team, but they know how to get up for these big games. And if it's close, they have two guys, one on each side of the ball that can make these, uh, you know, incredible plays and have a real impact on the game. So I think that pushes them up further, um, you know, in the, on the like concern scale of how I look at this game, because it's like, look, you've got to contain David Bell and you've got to contain George Arloftis. If you do that even remotely, then I like Ohio state's chances a lot more, but those are just two big variables. And each of those guys can go off at any, at any given time. Yeah, for sure. I, I think that's a good way to put it where that this Purdue team has stars, but the, the depth of those stars is certainly lacking. And you mentioned Bell and Carl Loftus. Those are the clear number one guys on both sides of the ball. So just talking about some of those guys, we'll start on the offensive end here. Uh, quarterback Aiden O'Connell has won this job over Jack Plummer. The team kind of flip-flopped earlier on in the year, but he is now, now the team's full-time starter. Uh, he's got just over 2,100 yards with 12 touchdowns and eight interceptions on the year through eight games. And as as Josh said, the number one guy on this offense is clearly wide receiver David Bell. He is already over 1,000 yards receiving this year with 64 catches and five touchdowns. He's had 500-yard performances this year, and Bell seems to play his best football when, when the competition gets the toughest. He's had two 200-yard games this season that both have come against those number two and number three teams he had. 240 yards and a touchdown over Iowa, and then 217 and a touchdown over Michigan State this past weekend. Uh, He is arguably the best non-OSU receiver in the Big Ten and probably one of the best in the country. Uh, But other than Bell, there is not much really going on for this Purdue offense. Uh, Their second-leading receiver, Milton Wright, has 368 yards and three touchdowns on the year. Uh, And then tight end Payne Durham has 356 yards and four touchdowns this year. He is kind of their big six-foot-five red zone threat, you know, so another big tight end that Ohio State will have to contend with. And they've done you know, they've done a pretty good job these past two weeks with guys on the, on the teams that they've played controlling that, so they'll have to do that once again. Um, and then the rushing attack. Boy, it is bad. Um, <laughs> King Doru is their leading rusher. He's got only 395 yards on 100 carries this year with just two scores. Uh, he also has 17 catches for 136 yards, so he does get involved in the passing game a little bit, but that, you know, that 3.8 yards per carry is not certainly stellar. Uh, the offensive line returns three starters, but they haven't played particularly well, and I think that's a big reason for this team's rushing struggles. Uh, they've allowed 25 sacks this year, which is about 2.78 per game, not what you want. And then, you know, according to Football Outsiders, who has really good stats on, you know, offensive line, different uh, advanced metrics for that kind of stuff, this team ranks 127th in average line yards, so basically the amount of yards that your offensive line is adding to your offense, and then they're 122nd in power run success. So, you know, this team has struggled to run for a reason. Uh, You know, I don't think the running backs are terrible, but this offensive line has certainly not run blocked well. I think they've been, you know, okay in pass protection, but like I said, they've allowed 25 sacks. So the whole Purdue offensive, everything for offense on Purdue starts with getting the ball to David Bell, 
and uh, that's that's how this team's going to roll. Ohio State hasn't really played a receiver quite like David Bell yet. They've obviously played Jahan Dotson, who was more of a, like I said last week, more of a Chris Olave type where he could pretty much do it all, whereas David Bell is this pure speedster, just beat you over the top, beat you with his speed, got great hands, runs great routes, really, really good wide receiver. So it'll be interesting to see how Ohio State looks to cover him, whether they look to double him, whether they, you know, if that's a one-on-one assignment for Denzel Burke, that's a really tough ask for a freshman. He's a very good player, but I think it'll be, you know, obviously Ohio State's entire defensive game plan has to be centered around David Bell. Yeah, on paper, it seems like the defensive game plan would be made easier, right? It's focus on David Bell, do everything within your power to stop him. And normally I'd be like, you know, hey, if you do that, though, you've got these other guys. And sure, Purdue has a number of pass catchers. They've got like three or four guys all with north of 300 yards receiving. But I think it has to come down to David Bell. I think you throw the running game out the window. I mean, obviously, you you don't want to run, change it up to like a a 3-4 defense or anything crazy like that. But it doesn't really have to be a focus, in, in my opinion. Purdue is that bad at running the football that I think you just kind of, you ask your four guys up front to play a normal game, do what they normally do, and just see ball, get ball, Um, because it's either going to be in a running back's hand and, you know, they're not great running the ball from scrimmage, or it's going to be a O'Connell back there with the ball in his hand, looking for somebody to find open down the field, passing the, passing the ball. So you do whatever you can to try and figure out David Bell. I don't know if that's some sort of bracket coverage. Like you said, is it double? Is it triple? Is it more help over the top? But um, it's hard to find answers for this guy because for his career, he averages over 100 yards per game. He's done it in the Big Ten since really since he walked on the field at Purdue. As a true freshman, he was great. Uh, he's a four-star guy out of Indianapolis. I wrote about him in my piece for this week. Ohio State touched base with him. They extended him an offer. They liked this guy. Uh, a lot of the college blue bloods did. And all he's done is come into Purdue and produce. His first catch as a collegiate football player was a 49-yard touchdown against uh, Nevada, I think, like the first game of the season uh, a couple of years ago. So he's done it game in, game out against you know, inferior competition, but he's also done it against the best competition. And he's maybe even been at his best against that better competition. You know, he's destroyed Iowa three years in a row. He put it on Michigan State this past Saturday. So if Ohio State's trying something new, it's not like it probably hasn't been tried before. Every team that David Bell has gone up against has tried something to try and contain him, and he's still been productive. So it's going to be a big ask. I don't think that they are going to shut him down by any means. I just don't see it. But if they can hold him under 100 yards, I think that that would go a long way. And maybe they can force Aiden O'Connell to look at some other guys. If you're forcing him to do something that he's not comfortable with or he's not wanting or willing to do, he'll give you the ball. He's thrown eight interceptions this year in eight games. And those aren't even, you know, he wasn't A to Z taking every snap during those eight games. You mentioned it. He flip-flopped back and forth with Jack Plummer. So, you know, 270 pass attempts on the year, eight picks. It's not a high percentage, but that's telling me that he's willing to throw one per game or he'll throw one per game. So 
I think pressure is going to be very important. Their offensive line for Purdue is not great. And Ohio State's defensive line is playing at its best. We talked about it before the pod. They're now tied for first in the country with 34 sacks. So they're getting after the quarterback um, with great regularity. They need to continue to do that. They need to get after Aiden O'Connell and force the ball out of his hands quickly and limit the opportunities for David Bell to make those plays. He can still do it with the ball in his hands, underneath but you want to limit those big shots and those deep balls down the field if you do that then I love Ohio State's chances because Purdue can't run the ball and because the other guys on the team uh, the other pass catchers on the team uh, you know they're not Garrett Wilson or Jackson Smith and Jigba they're not your 1B your 1C or however you want to rank those guys for Ohio State but David Bell I think is just as good as the Ohio state wide receivers. I think he is truly one of the best receivers in the country. And he's proven that on the biggest stage this year. Hey, Josh, does, does David Bell remind you of any particular wide receivers from Purdue that we've seen in the past couple of years? Yeah, I know where you're going. The body type's a little bit different. You know, Rondale Moore is about five, three, I think, but when it comes to productivity and like explosiveness, yeah, David Bell is up there with Rondale Moore. And we've seen that. I, I think you, are kind of pushing me towards talking about that 2018 game. Rondale Moore burned Ohio State throughout his Purdue career, and David Bell could certainly do the same. Yeah, I think there is. I think there's a good amount of Ohio State fans that are a little worried about this game, just given the past between these two teams. Obviously, the last time they played, it was at Purdue, and Purdue won 49 to 20 in a big shocker of an upset there against Ohio State. Um, I do think this team is, is different from that team in a number of ways. I, I'm, both teams are, Ohio State and Purdue. But the, the main difference, I think, for Purdue is that the Purdue was able to run the ball in that game pretty successfully. Uh, their mm-hmm. running back in 2018, DJ Knox, had 16 carries for 128 yards and three touchdowns. And I don't think that Purdue really has anything this year that could produce. Don't have anybody that could produce those kind of numbers. So I think that they're a lot more one-dimensional. You could focus a lot more on David Bell when they couldn't do that on Rondale Moore. And, and I also think that the defensive coaching, you know, for as much flack as it's caught this year is better than it was in that game because I specifically remember you know Jordan Fuller was one of the best safeties Ohio State's had in a really long time but they were had him playing like slot man-to-man press coverage on Rondale Moore and you know Jordan Fuller doesn't have a chance in that situation. You're putting him in such a terrible spot against a speedster like Rondell Moore when, when Jordan Fuller really wasn't a, a press man guy. He was your deep safety. He was your eraser. He was the guy at the back end of the defense who would, who would make the tackle and save the long touchdowns. And to, to play a one-high safety and have your actual good stopper up at the line of scrimmage trying to guard one of the fastest receivers in college football was just a terrible, terrible game plan. And it led to a lot of Ohio State's failures in that game. And then on the other side of the ball, Ohio State wasn't able to run the ball at all. They had 25 carries in that game for only 76 yards, averaging three a carry. You know, Mike Weber had nine carries for 45 yards, and J.K. Dobbins had 11 for only 24. So I think a lot of that a lot of that is different than it is now. I think, you know, for as much as Ohio State has struggled to run the ball in the last few weeks, I still think that their run game is better than those numbers for sure. And, you know, they Dwayne Haskins threw 73 passes in that game. I certainly don't think they're going to ask Stroud to throw 73 times on Saturday. We did see him throw a lot against Nebraska, but I do think that, you know, I I think a big point of emphasis this week will be that run blocking and that run game. And I think that they could use Travion Henderson in a number of ways that they probably couldn't use Mike Weber and J.K. Dobbins for as good as they both were. Um, So as similar as David Bell is to Rondell Moore and the vibes that we get from this Purdue team with the upset-minded stuff, I do think that both of these teams are significantly different than they were back then. And I think that, you know, specifically the fact that Purdue can't really run the ball 
and that, you know, Rondell Moore is probably a little more polished of a receiver than David Bell is. I think they're both phenomenal players, but Rondell Moore was almost like a pure speed guy, and, and David Bell does a lot of different things. So they are different players as much as they're, you know, the, the casual, you know, really, really good Purdue receiver. But yeah, I think that the, the the ghosts of that game will certainly haunt Ohio State fans in this one. But I, I do think there's a number of factors in this that'll lead to it being a much different outcome. Well, and I hope that that 2018 game haunts um, certainly the coaches. A lot of these coaches were around in 2018. Um, you want that extra edge. You don't want any sort of letdown or complacency. And I think that Ohio State should avoid that for a number of reasons. You know, they, they've seen what Purdue has done this year against Iowa and Michigan State. Ohio State knows what is potentially ahead of them as far as the, the college football playoff is concerned. So I think that they are going to put the correct focus and energy into preparation for this game. And um, I think that was lacking in 2018. Purdue started out that season, if I remember correctly, 0-3. And they won at least four straight because the fourth straight win was that victory against Ohio State. And really, I mean, they dog walked Ohio State. It wasn't particularly close. Ohio State didn't score a touchdown until the fourth quarter. You mentioned it. Haskins threw 73 passes. He hit on 49 of them, but he missed a lot of balls. I, if I remember correctly, it was a, it was a little bit windy too, but he just he missed some throws that he was normally hitting during his career here at Ohio State. And the offense could just never get anything going. And I think this Ohio State offense is more explosive than that one. And you're right, Rondale Moore is not on the field. They've got David Bell, who's more of a conventional great wide receiver, I guess, if I had to describe him any other way. Rondale Moore was almost like a gadget guy because of his size and his speed. But then he could also go and make some some great contested catches. But he was a good yak guy, too, that isn't necessarily David Bell's game, although he had a great catch and run against Michigan State. Um, and also, I got to give a shout out from 2018. Marcus Bailey was uh, Purdue's best defensive player and best linebacker. He went to school here in Hilliard, Ohio, where I live and where I went to high school. I didn't go to the same school as him, but local product in that game, he had 15 tackles and a pick six on Dwayne Haskins that really kind of set the tone. So um, different year different team, but I think Ohio State will be fully prepared and fully looking to avenge that loss and kind of set themselves up for CFP success or consideration down the road. Like it's just, it's impossible to have a letdown. If you get beat by the better team that day, so be it. But it's almost impossible for Ohio State to come out flat in this game. I guess physically it's not impossible, but you know that the coaches are going to be fired up. You know that they're going to be, uh, you know, in the film room, in the office, day in, day out, making sure that Ohio State hopefully avoids an upset in this game. And I do think it starts with stopping Purdue's offense. Like we've talked about, it's the David Bell show. He's burned a number of high-end opponents. You've got to figure something out for him. And if they do that, I like Ohio State's chances a little bit better on the other side of the ball. I think Ohio State is coming off of a game where they struggled a little bit against Nebraska. I think those guys also, they have to be hungry. They have to be prepared. And I think that they will be looking to go out there and ball out and hopefully put up more points than the Boilermakers. Yeah, and just before we, we touch on Ohio State's offense versus 
Purdue defense. I think Ohio State's defense specifically has improved a lot. Obviously, the 2018 was one of their worst defensive seasons ever. And, you know, that that team had no pass rush. And it was, it was weird to see because that team still had guys like Jeff Okuda and Chase Young on it. But, like, Chase Young hadn't reached his final form yet. And I, I'm pretty sure Alex Grinch was calling the defense back then. So that's that wasn't helpful either. But I do think under Matt Barnes, the fact that they've gone to a, more of a too-high safety look would help, especially against a team like Purdue that likes to air it out. I think they should, you know, try to look to that look almost exclusively stay in too high safeties against a team that passes this much. And then that defensive front, as we talked about, has really turned it up these past couple weeks. They're really getting after the quarterback, and I think that'll help in this game as well. Maybe force Aiden O'Connell into some bad decisions, force him into some turnovers, and don't give him time to, you know, find David Bell downfield or find David Bell and let him work some routes that get him open deep down the field. So I think all of that comes into play, and I think, you know, as much as Ohio State's offense struggled in that game against Purdue, I think the defense was the story of that game, and I think that as much as Ohio State's defense struggled early on this year, they're doing some things now that that better prep them for a game like this Purdue team. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Uh, I do remember the talent on Ohio State's defense in 2018 was there, but it wasn't seasoned. It wasn't all experience. So, um, you know, Kerry Combs was there. And Larry Johnson was there. Hopefully they can take some lessons that they learned from that game because Purdue, I mean, more or less is going to run the same style of offense. Jeff Brom likes to spread you out, throw the ball a ton. He knows where his weaknesses are. He knows that, you know, I don't imagine that Purdue is going to come out and try and establish the run game um, very well or really put a whole lot of emphasis on it he has a calling card. He knows how he wants to try and beat you. So it's a number of coaches. They haven't played since 2018, but a lot of the coaches and a lot of the uh, people involved are the same. So I, I think there will be lessons to be learned on both sides. And, you know, for us, hopefully Ohio state learned a little bit more and is able to apply that to this year's version of the game. Yeah, I'm sure they will, they will use that game. I'm sure they're watching film on that game. I'm sure they will use that game as, as fuel for their players in this one, even though a lot of them are not the same guys. I'm sure a couple of guys are left over from that time. We can flip over to the other side of the ball now. Ohio State's offense versus this Purdue defense. Uh, the star of the defense is obviously defensive end George Karloftis. Um, he's having a bit of a down year by his standards, but he still has six tackles for loss and two and a half sacks. Uh, the bread and butter for this team, much like Nebraska, has really been their linebacker core. Uh, leading tackler is the, their leading tackler is senior linebacker Jalen Alexander. He's got 67 total tackles on the year to go along with five and a half tackles for loss, two pass breakups, and a sack. And then alongside him uh, in the linebacker core, you got Kieran Douglas with 41 total tackles and a pick, and Jalen Graham with 40 tackles and two picks. So these guys, you know, they get involved in both the run and the passing game. They're a very good group up the middle. They're really high on those guys, and it's probably one of their their best units on this defense. On the back end, uh, junior DB Cam Allen is, is the leader in the secondary. He's a safety. He's got a team-high four interceptions to go along with 40 total tackles. Uh, he and Marvin Gant are really, really the top guys at the back end of this defense at the safety positions. Uh, Gant is a team's second-leading tackler with 49 total tackles. And then, you know, joining... Joining them in the secondary, they, they lost their top cover guy, Corey Trice, earlier in the year. He only played two games, and he's out for the season with an injury. Uh, but corner Jamari Brown has stepped up in his place. He's got five pass breakups and two forced fumbles on the year. And Dedrick Mackey starts opposite him, and he's got a pair of picks at the other cornerback spot. So the secondary is a pretty solid unit. They're missing their top guy, but they've had some other guys step up in his absence, and they've played pretty well this year. And then up front, joining Karloftis, 
They've got uh, Branson Dean and Demarcus Mitchell on that line. Dean has six tackles for loss and two sacks, and Mitchell has three and a half tackles for loss and two and a half sacks in just five games played. So they've got talent all over the field. It doesn't always all come together. They've been uh, particularly bad at rushing the passer. They've only got their their 91st in the country in sacks this year. So they, they haven't been getting a ton of pressure, but they've been good in stopping the run. And a lot of that has been because of those great linebackers and also the two the two safeties they have at the back end of the defense. They're good at not allowing some of those chunk plays to happen, not a lot of long runs to happen against them. Uh, but yeah, this, this is a Purdue defense that's, that's pretty solid. It's very similar to the Nebraska team we saw last week with perhaps, you know, with better players up front, but a similarly, you know, not very effective pass rush. Um, but the linebackers are really good. The secondary is solid, and it will be another good test for an Ohio State offense that has struggled the past few weeks, and we'll have to figure out some stuff in this game, especially in the run department. Yeah, I think George Karloftis, for starters, I think is one of the best defensive players in the country. I know that his sack numbers are down, but if you kind of watch some of their games and you read some certain things online, I check out PFF a lot. He gets a ton of pressures, um, but he also gets like that chase young treatment. He gets double teamed. He gets triple teamed. So I think the lack of sacks for Purdue really kind of speaks to the rest of the talent around him. They don't have a lot of sacks for a reason. The guys beside Karloftis are not nearly up to his level, and he gets a ton of attention. That being said, I mean, he's 6'5", like 275, almost J.J. Watt size for a defensive end. He's a big, strong dude, and you know he could double that sack total at any point during any game. It's just a matter of how teams choose to kind of focus on him and block him. And like I said, he gets a ton of double and tripled coverage, but the pressure is there. So they have to still, Ohio State has to be steadfast in their preparation for him. They have to make sure that he doesn't have too big of an impact like he did against Iowa. Uh, During the Iowa game, I don't even know if Karloftis was credited with a sack against the Hawkeyes, but he did have 10 pressures. And if you watch that game, like he was constantly in Spencer Petrus's grill. He just wasn't getting home, but he affected him enough to where Spencer Petrus doesn't need any help to be an average to below average quarterback. George Karloftis did not make his life easy during that Iowa game. So He's a stud, and I like their linebackers. I think Jalen Alexander is a really good ball player, and their safety is over the top. You know, normally your, your corners tend to typically lead the team in interceptions. That's not the case. Cam Allen has four. He's the leader there. Both of their safeties are good. Marvin Gant and Cam Allen, um, and they each they're each they're older guys, right? They're in their second or third years. I know Cam Allen's a third year player. Um, they've got some guys who have been there, done it before. They just haven't done it against Ohio State. But there's something that there's they're a team that you need to watch out for. Um, Eleven picks on the year. I think that puts them around you know twenty twenty five tied for twentieth or twenty fifth in that area in the country for interceptions. So they know how to turn the ball over some. CJ Boyd, CJ Stroud has typically avoided that, but it, it came back to bite him a little bit during the Nebraska game. I think he has to avoid those. If Ohio State plays a good game, though, on offense, I think they can score on this Purdue defense. Purdue is 16th in scoring defense, but you have to kind of look at their competition, too. You know, they played, they shut out UConn. They played Notre Dame. Notre Dame put up 27 on them, but then they played Illinois. Illinois can't score. Um, they obviously upset Iowa. 
Iowa put up seven points. Iowa's not an explosive offense. Minnesota's not an explosive offense. Um, they lost to Wisconsin, though. They gave up 30 to Wisconsin. We know what Graham Mertz is, so it's sort of this mixed bag. Michigan State was able to move the ball on them. Peyton Thorne threw for, I think, 276, and Kenneth Walker had a decent game. They've been able to limit the points but still give up yards. Ohio State just needs to make sure, especially after what we've seen recently, that they avoid a letdown and any mistakes in the red zone. If they do that, I think they can score on this Boilermaker defense. Yeah, I'm, what I'm especially looking for in this Ohio State offense this week, I'll be interested to see if if Garrett Wilson is back from the concussion protocol. Um, by the time this comes out, you know, Ryan Day is going to have his press conference on Tuesday. Maybe we'll learn a little bit more about that, but maybe not till later in the week. But either way, I'm not entirely worried about the passing offense. I think C.J. Stroud will be fine. I think the passing offense has been fine. You know, we didn't like the comment from Stroud last week about how his job is to throw the ball, so he's going to throw it and not run it. I am still hoping to see him take some of those extra yards when he's running to the outside, and they're going to give it to him. So we'll see how I've that plays out. I've changed my stance on that, Gene. I need to jump in there. Um, I think I was a little bit too easy on Stroud about that comment in particular, and the longer I've let it kind of marinate, and the longer I've thought about it, that really kind of pisses me off. I, I think that it shows a certain level of selfishness and immaturity. And, you know, I I don't want to put that on Stroud as a person, but I think that that comment was a very poor comment because I mentioned the fact that it kind of lets your opposition know where your head is at. But to say something like that after a game, he was almost defiant. And that's not something that you want to see out of a quarterback who came off of a nine point victory over a team that you probably should have beaten by a bigger margin. We, we didn't hear or see those sort of comments from Justin Fields. And I, I don't want to put those two guys on the same level, but that comment you bringing it up again, it it really rubs me the wrong way because I think that he is doing himself and the offense a disservice by saying like, Hey, I have no interest in it. I'm the quarterback. That's what I get quote unquote paid to do. Um, it's bothered me more as time has progressed. So I just kind of need to jump in there. I love CJ Stroud. I think he's a great quarterback and he will continue to be a great quarterback, but I wish he wouldn't have said what he said. Yeah. I don't know if that was just like, you know, heat of the moment thing. Maybe he's getting tired of people asking him about it. It could have been something like that. I'm sure that's something that Ryan Day has addressed with him since then. I'd be surprised if he hadn't talked to him about it. You know, I'll be interested to see if somebody asked Ryan Day about it this week and what he has to say about it, or if they asked Stroud himself about it again. But nonetheless, it is something that we have to see actually play out in a game and actually start to happen. Um, but I'm, I'm more looking at this run game and I'm interested to see if Ohio State makes tangible changes along the offensive line, whether that be in terms of the personnel that are out there or just the creativity in the run game itself. We have to see them get back to be able to run the ball effectively. And, you know, Travion Henderson is a fantastic running back, but the, the blocking, I had rewatched the Nebraska game and watching some of the run plays in the blocking, it was just non existent. Uh, Travion Henderson was running into a, a wall of like four guys every time he touched the football. And, you know, even still, he was able to get like three or four yards of carry, which was impressive, but. Like he just, he had no room to run. And all you need to do is give this guy a little bit of space and he could break off 10, 15 yards, if not more, every time he touches the ball. So I'll be interested to see if they switch up the offensive line at all. We've talked extensively about the four tackle unit, about how the the run blocking hasn't been good. I'd like to see that, you know, I'd like to see them fix that against a team like Purdue that hasn't exactly excelled against the run this year. But 
you know, it'll be interesting. I think that's what I'm looking forward to most. I think, you know, the passing offense will continue to be fine. You know, I think Jack Smith and Jigba is an incredible third wide receiver, and he would probably be most teams number one. Obviously, Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson are spectacular, and then all the freshmen behind them they have that are just waiting to be up-and-coming five-star prospects. I'm not worried about the passing offense. I think it'll be fine. I think the pass blocking from the offensive line has been more or less good, but the run blocking has been an issue, and if it continues in this game, then it's it's going to be something to really worry about heading into those two games against Michigan State and Michigan. Yeah, I agree. And while I'm with you that changes could be beneficial to the lineup, I just I still don't think that we're going to see that. So I think Ryan Day needs to be more creative in his approach because I think the lineup, while they've struggled at times in run blocking, I think they've been just really top notch in pass pro. And so I think you sort of have to live with that and you have to coach for it. You have to plan for it or coach your guys up, um, whatever it takes. Maybe it's been the competition. Maybe there's just something going on in that room. Um, But I think they need to figure out how to coach their guys up as opposed to coach different guys, if that makes sense. Because like I said, the pass pro has been good. And I think it's it's very late in the season to try and switch it up too much because you're going to go against in consecutive weeks, Purdue, Michigan state, Michigan, there's, there's really no time left to test things out. So I think they sort of are where they are at this point, but I I, I do agree with you wholeheartedly that the creativity has been lacking. And so they need to look at some things there. They need to run more counters, more sweeps, get it to the outside, whatever they need to do differently that they haven't been doing the past couple of weeks. And I I think that, yes, if we continue to see them struggle, I think that it will definitely raise the concern level, at least for me, for the rest of the season, because it's not going to get any easier, especially if Ohio state were to, you know, kind of get through these three games, play in a big 10 championship, play in a college football playoff. It's not going to get easier running the ball. You had your chances um, against the Rutgers and Maryland's and teams like that. You weren't very successful in Nebraska and you need to figure it out. You need to, you know, turn that switch on because you're going to go against three decent defenses up front who know how to limit the run game. Yeah, and I think Ohio State should be much more willing to run the football in the red zone. I think that's been a lot of the reason for their issues there. It seems like, you know, I I would much rather get four yards on first down the red zone and be looking at a second and six, second and five, than throw an incompletion or get a sack or something on first down, and now you're behind the sticks. I think that's been a lot of Ohio State's problems on top of some of these procedural penalties they've been getting with the false starts and ineligible man downfield and all that kind of stuff. All of that has added up, and I think that's been, you know, obviously the talent hasn't changed from earlier in the year. It's just, you know, these weird weird little ticky-tack stuff they're doing wrong and just a little bit of the play calling, a little bit of the aggressiveness from Ryan Day in the red zone. I think a lot of that has to, you know, it's, it's easily fixable stuff. You just kind of throw some wrinkles out there, change up some of the play calling and do that stuff and you'll you'll turn around those red zone plays. I mean, they have all of these talented receivers on this running back and CJ Stroud and all of these guys that could pretty much score at will. You just have to be able to put it all together. And so I'm hoping we finally see them do that this week. Maybe they, you know, they've watched film on these last two games. They know what they're doing wrong. They, they kind of work that stuff out. And, you know, we see a much more efficient Ohio State offense like we saw earlier in the year. And like you said, this, it's not going to get any easier. You can't really go out there and test things right now against Purdue. But if there was a game where you can maybe, you know, try one or two things here late in the game, if, you know, if you do build yourself a lead or something like that, this is really the only game you have left to do so. So if we're going to see 
any changes, it would be in this game. But I'm not, like you said, I'm not, I don't think we're going to go out there and see a new starter along the offensive line. I know Paris Johnson and Thayer Munford have both struggled playing guard. It's not their natural position, but they've done, they know they've done an admirable job in pass blocking. They're not doing great in the run blocking. It's really hard to play that position, having learned how to play a tackle. Now you're playing guard, but. You know, I don't know if there's an easy solution there, but I'm hoping they're able to work on some things in practice, throw some extra wrinkles in the playbook to kind of fix those issues, if not by personnel, then by scheme. Yeah, I'm hopeful I'm hopeful that we're just able to chalk it up to fluke or an off week or some off games. Um, you said something, though. Maybe if you get out to a lead, you can try some things, and maybe that's what it's going to take. If Ohio State gets up to you know, two scores or they're up 17, 21 points, something like that. I think because of what, and I haven't looked at the spread yet. I know we're going to get into that. I know you'll lay it out at the end of the pod, but I think against a team like Purdue with their track record, at least this season, particularly this season, I don't know if Ohio state has to go out there and win by 28, 30 points. Um, I think that this week is a true survive and advance week. So if they're up you know, 14 points, 17 points, whatever it is, maybe they can slow it down. Maybe they can limit the, the shots they take downfield, not to necessarily play conservative, but to be more aggressive in the run game. So I, I'm hopeful that something like that happens because maybe that's what they need. They need to be comfortable in order to get comfortable, if that makes sense. If they're out to a comfortable lead or at least a comfortable lead in their mind, and they're containing David Bell and they've, you know, maybe they've caused a turnover or something like that. And they're kind of cruising. Then maybe they can look to establish the run consistently. Maybe they run the ball four or five, six times in a row to open up something else. But maybe maybe it starts with the lead. I think that's a good point by you. Yeah, I'm all for it. And, you know, talking about the spread of this game, I was a little surprised when I saw the opening line. Ohio State opens as 20-point favorites in this game, which seems, you know, pretty high compared to what these teams did last week. But, you know, I do get it. I mean, the talent itself should lead to a 20-point, you know, spread here. But I was a little surprised to see that the line was that high. Uh, Josh, what are you what are you expecting from Ohio State this weekend? Do you think they're going to be able to fix some of this stuff? Do you think we're still going to see them struggle a bit? Do you think this will be a closer game than expected? There'll be a bigger blowout than expected. Where are you at? And you know, as of Monday, I'm recording this. Where are you at on this game? I think that Ohio State will look fine, but I don't know that they completely shut down Purdue's defense. I think they give up some points and. Um, Hopefully, I, I'm hopeful that it's never really a one score game or anything like that, but I don't think Ohio State covers. I think it's 38 24 is my prediction. I think Ohio State moves the ball. I think they look fine on offense, but I think they are going to give up some points and give up some yards. So, you know, my, my total prediction would be that they lead throughout, but that they don't cover. So I'll stick with 38 14. Yeah, I'm. I'm almost. Or 38-24. I'm sorry. Yes, I'm actually. I'm pretty close to you. I was going to say 38-17. I think that you know, with Purdue's inability to run the ball, I think Ohio State's defense will continue to play well. You know, I think you could let up like 150 yards receiving to David Bell and still only let up 17 points with the way that the rest of the Purdue offense executes. And you know, with Ohio State. I think they're still going to have some of those struggles. I think they'll work them out a little bit, but not fully. So they'll still they'll still put up some points. It may not be you know as electric as it has been early in the year, but I think it'll be good enough that we're at least satisfied. And, and you know, there's we have less things to work on moving forward, and we feel at least pretty good about the offense moving forward. And then the defense continues to to impress every week and get better and better as the year goes on. 
You know, I'm liking a lot what I'm seeing from some of the guys that are earning more and more playing time, like Steel Chambers. You know, we saw Jack Sawyer get a sack last week. J.D. Tulimaloa has obviously been playing great. I think Marcus Williamson is carving out a role for himself on this defense. So I'm liking what I'm seeing from Ohio State on defense for sure, which is weird to say. It's, it's weird that we've gotten a full switch flip here where we're more confident in the Ohio State defense than the offense at this point. But that is college football, and that is being an Ohio State fan and, and what this team does to your brain. Uh, but yeah, I mean, we're pretty much on the same page. We think Ohio State's going to be probably under the 40 mark, but at least up there. We think they'll win comfortably. You don't have them covering. I do have them covering by by a little bit, uh, by just a point, actually. And then, yeah, I mean, that, that's that's where we're at. It's going to be an interesting one. I think that the way this game starts will play a big impact on how it, how it finishes. If, if Purdue comes out here really aggressive and really looking to score early, we could see a closer game. If Ohio State gets out to like a two-score lead early and Purdue kind of folds, then we could see a very different game. So uh, I think the start for both of these teams is very important. You know, we saw Nebraska stick in the game last week by staying around in the first half, and that made the game closer. So if Purdue is able to do something similar, we might see a similar outcome. But if Ohio State could force a turnover or get out to an early lead or be efficient on offense early, then I I think they could win this game pretty comfortably. Yeah, we've talked about, or I definitely know that I've talked about swagger and trying to kind of get that back, looking to get that back. That's what I want to see from this game. And I think that you can accomplish that with a 14-point victory or more, obviously. But Purdue has taken down some tough opponents, and... Ohio State has had back-to-back nine-point victories. I like Penn State. I think they're a decent team. I think that was a solid win, but it's not what we expected. Um, In the national kind of media and all that stuff, it's not what people expected. We were supposed to go out and beat Penn State by double digits. We were supposed to go out and beat Nebraska by by double digits. If we do that against Purdue, given the fact that they've taken down the second and third ranked team in the country, I think that's a good building block. Ohio State just needs to look good. And I think that I will feel much better about them moving forward as opposed to, you know, even if they win, but it's a three-point victory um, against Purdue, then those questions that we're talking about right now and that we have currently, they're going to continue for me going into Michigan State and Michigan Week. That's for sure. Yeah, and you know, the good thing for Ohio State at this point is that they don't really they don't need style points to make the playoffs with the way that their schedule is is built out. If Ohio State wins out now, uh, you know, they're they're pretty much guaranteed a spot in the playoff, even if they're not particularly pretty wins from here on out. But it would be nice to kind of quell some of the problems that they've had, you know, the, the get the fan base back in like a, a comfortable state and everyone's freaking out about a team that's seven and or eight and one or nine and one after this week, whatever it is. But uh, yeah, I mean, there's some other, you know, just just after the Ohio State game, there are some other interesting games to watch this weekend on top of that game, which is set to kick off at 3.30 on ABC. Uh, interestingly enough, Josh, Penn State, Michigan, Penn State is a one point favorite at home against Michigan. That's kind of, you know, Penn State's been kind of wow. struggling lately. Michigan's coming off, you know, a, a big win over uh I'm struggling. Who did they play last week? They uh, Indiana. They beat Indiana by a bunch. Uh, who hasn't? Uh, but Michigan State did obviously lose the game to Michigan State. So Penn State with a one point favor in that game. I know they're at home, but that is a little odd to see. Yeah, I'm very surprised by that one because I think that really, I think Michigan still has a chance um, to definitely finish the season stronger than they have recently, but to get in the CFP conversation. So I am very surprised by that. Um, Although I do like Penn State, like I said, they, they lost three in a row, but that's a decent football team. So I guess I can't say that I'm shocked, but I think that Michigan clearly has much more to play for. You know, they want to take down Penn State. 
probably wipe the floor with Maryland. And if they do that, you're looking at a top five matchup potentially um, between Michigan and Ohio State, which is what everyone wants. Um, so, yeah, I am very surprised by that one. Yeah, and you know the other games around the country. There's really only one other national game that I'm any interested in, and it's Oklahoma at Baylor. Uh, Baylor did just lose to a TCU team that just fired their coach, uh, but Oklahoma has been seemingly trying to lose a game every week this year. Oklahoma is a five and a half point favorite in that game. Uh, you know that I guess it'll be intriguing. You know, Oklahoma's schedule is tough here at the end. They play three really good teams to close out the season. I do think they will lose one of them. They've been, you know, they haven't looked particularly good on either side of the ball this season. I know Caleb Williams is a much better quarterback than Spencer Rattler, but that defense is still not great. Uh, I, I was more high on Baylor potentially winning this game before last week, but now I don't really know what to think about them after that TCU loss. Uh, Josh, are you interested in this at all? Uh, I am, but I will not be able to watch it. Uh, full disclosure, I will be out of the country on an international mission. I can't divulge too many more details, but since you can't call me out for it on the kind of post-game pod, I'll say Baylor upsets Oklahoma because I'm with you. I think that they've been trying to lose seemingly um, against some really poor opponents. I think the Baylor has a really good defense. Dave Aranda, their coach, is a former defensive ma- – well, I mean, he's still a defensive mastermind, but he was the sort of the engine that made it go at LSU when they were at their best on defense. So I could see the Bears winning that, so I'll say Baylor pulls off the upset. Yes, if, if, if Ohio State loses this weekend, it's entirely Josh's fault for leaving the country. Uh, <laughs> we will hold him to that. We can't hold him to that because he won't be on the postgame pod this week, but I will be sure to blame him for the loss if it happens. Uh, but other than that, around the country, not too much else intriguing. You know, Obviously, Minnesota-Iowa is big for the Big Ten West. Uh, Texas A&M plays Ole Miss. I don't really care about that. The SEC is what it is. Um, and other than that, not too much of in terms of ranked-on-ranked opponents or games of really any intrigue at all. Um so, you know, Ohio State, middle of the day. I like the 3.30 kick. I think it's better than the the noon, and it's, you know, I, obviously the night kicks are the best with the, the atmospheres and stuff, but I, I think the 3.30 game is good because you can, you know, kind of wake up, you know, go on throughout your day, get get some stuff out of the way, get some maybe get a nice meal for lunch, get a nice breakfast or whatever if you want to go out, and then, you know, come back, settle in for an Ohio State game, and then you have the rest of your, your night after that if you want to go out and do anything on a Saturday. So I'm a fan of the 3.30 yeah, kick. Yeah, the- the bummer is, though, especially with this time change, it's probably going to get dark during the second quarter. This is um, the worst time of the year. I will hear nothing else from anybody. It's now seasonal depression time, and it, it really kicked in this week. I swear it's it's been dark for two hours, so you will have to probably play under the lights during the second half. Yes, luckily this game is at home for Ohio State, so they're not playing under the lights against Purdue, but they do get this game at home, so maybe the Ohio State fans will be a little more rowdy with the, it getting darker early. Who knows? Uh, but yeah, it should be a fun game. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. Josh will be uh, doing his, his secret CIA mission elsewhere, so I don't know if he'll be able to watch or not, but I will be back with you uh, this weekend for the recap with somebody else at Land Grant to, to fill his large shoes while he's gone. Uh, Josh, do you have any parting thoughts before you uh, leave the country forever? Uh, only one, and that's Go Bucks. We love it. We love to see it. Be sure to uh, follow us over at Land Grant Holy Land. Read all of our stuff. We'll be coming at you with a bunch of pregame stuff this week, as we always do. And like I said, we will be back sometime this Sunday with the recap pod. And for, uh, yeah, be sure to like, rate, review, subscribe, all that good stuff you do with all your other podcasts. And for Josh Dooley, I am Gene Ross. And as always, go Bucks.